I'm Louise Giulio, Executive Director of AW New York and Global Partnerships here at Advertising Week. And I'm Ruth Mortimer, Global President at Advertising Week. You're listening to the Futures Female Podcast from Advertising Week in partnership with LinkedIn. Each week on the Future is Female podcast, we'll be speaking to female leaders from across the industry. These exceptional leaders, fearless visionaries, and trailblazing executives will share their stories and offer advice to all women in the workplace, regardless of seniority. Thank you for joining us, and please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or your podcast platform of choice. Today, I'm here with Katie Kempner. She's the founder of Kempner Communications, and she's the host of Perspectives with Katie Kempner, which is a podcast all about running your own business and defining success. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you, Ruth. I'm really excited to be here. So, Katie, you're no stranger to podcasts. You have one of your own podcasts, which hopefully everybody has listened to already. But if they haven't, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you ended up where you are. Well, thank you very much for that. Yes, I do have a podcast. It's called Perspectives with Katie Kempner, and it's on your platform as well as uh, everywhere else you put it, Spotify, Apple. Um, And it's about successful working women, where I talk to different working women about their lives and their careers. And it sort of evolved from my own career. You asked me about my career. Um, For a very brief period of time, I tried to be an actress and decided that I hated rejection. So I had to figure something else out. And I um, ended up joining Crispin Porter Bogusky, which at the time was Crispin Porter. And I was friends with Alex Bogusky's wife, Anna, who said, um, with everything that you do, just come because I'm going to leave and have a baby. And they were 30 people. And so I joined them when they were 30 people and they grew to 1200 with 12 global offices. And I I came up with the idea. I was I was actually hired to be the head of new business, and I thought we could get new business better if uh, we get PR. And they had already started getting PR organically because they were terrific. Then they quickly brought on Jeff Hicks, who was a partner and really actually knew how to do new business. But it turned out that I loved PR, and although I didn't know how to do it, I had a knack for it. So. Um, then they were acquired by MDC Partners, which is now um, which is now Stagwell. And when they were MDC Partners, I became the head of communications for them as well and launched them in the U.S. because they are a Canadian company. And I had two roles running both companies' commu- communications for about six years. And then I went back to CPB and then my mentor And friend Chuck Porter said to me, you've always wanted your own agency, your own PR firm, and you're getting a little old to start. So how about you go do it and we're your first client? And that's how I started. And now I've had next in a few weeks, I will have been in business for nine years. Wow. And I'm going to forgive Chuck because I know him and he's a lovely man. I'll forgive him for saying that you were getting a little bit old. Because as we know, you are never too old to start your own business. But I think you have a very interesting perspective. 
on um on particularly the industry we work in because you run your own business you market yourself you market your clients you operate and quite often your clients are in the business of marketing what do you think what's the most challenging part of what you do with your own business would you say well I am. So I, my business is Kempner Communications and it's a high-end communications consultancy. Um, We're about nine people spread out across the country. We do specialize, we have our roots in advertising agencies and we've branched out over the years into different kinds of companies, but we still have a number of ad agencies. I think the, the trickiest thing for me personally is probably not where you're maybe thinking of going with this, it's to fi- it's finding terrific talent. And we're really lucky that we have amazing people that, you know, we work with, but um, that's tricky to find them, I think. Um, people that are really great communicators, really motivated. And so I'm always looking. I think for my clients, I'm sure that's something as well, but for my clients, a tricky thing is always trying to figure, I'm going to say the word authentic, but excuse me, because it's so overused, but I think finding authentic and genuine, also overused, ways to stand out in a very, very crowded industry where everybody is scrambling to get the spotlight on them is tricky. And to take that back then to to you, I guess, I think that is it is really tricky. And how do you feel? What's it that you think has been at the root of your success? Because you took Chuck's comment and actually you did make a huge success out of your own business. Thank you. What is it about you that you think, actually, this is why? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for saying that. Um, I think the thing that makes me successful is also a l- little bit of something that I don't recommend in other people, although I see it in a lot of people, which is, and I, I kind of want to change a little bit, not too much, is that I'm constantly pushing myself and I don't really stop and pat myself on the back enough. And I think it leads to my success because I never stop and say, okay, good job. I just keep, you know, one thing happens and then I think, what's the next thing? So my advice to other people is some sort of middle ground where you definitely are pushing yourself constantly and always trying to look at new opportunities and new ways of growing for yourself and your clients. But you also sometimes stop a little and say to yourself, hey, great job. Well, I definitely think you should be saying um, great job to yourself more often. But I think actually one of the things that we often don't talk about enough is female business owners, um, role models, people you can look up to. Were there other entrepreneurs that when you were starting out as one, you could look up to and say, hmm, I want to be like them? That's a good question. I don't think, you know... I've never compared myself to other people in that way. I remember when I was in high school once, I went to a party and I came home and I can't even remember why I got into this conversation with my dad, but there, but I think I liked a guy and uh, there was another girl there that he was interested in and she I felt she was prettier than me. And I said something to my father, who is a philosopher, like an actual philosopher. So the answer might not have been 
as surprising, but he said to me, you know, Katie, there's always going to be somebody that's prettier, smarter, richer, or put in whatever it is you think you need to be. And you never compare yourself because you're never going to feel good about it. You just be you. And so I don't know if that's really the answer you're looking for, but I never really looked at other businesses in that way and said, oh, I want to be that. I just tried to be the best version of me, which has often worked and sometimes not worked so well. And I think to your point, that's the authenticity, right? Because actually it's easier to be a version of yourself than it is to try and be try and be somebody else that isn't you. And in terms of what you were saying about um, finding great talent, tell me about female talent particularly and some of the challenges you've seen with women in the workplace, the challenges you think they face. Well, for sure, I think they face very big challenges when they decide they want to start a family. And prior to the pandemic, it would have been one set of challenges where you have to be at the office and which when I was coming up in my career was, well, I have to travel all the time and I need to be at the office and my kids are home with the nanny and I feel guilty every single second, which is actually how, how and why I started Perspectives. But I think now, even more so to try to figure out if you're working from home or if it's something hybrid and you want to have kids and everything also costs a fortune, that it's really difficult to figure out how to have a career, the level of career that you should have as an intelligent, hardworking, successful woman and balance that with having a family. Look, I think that's a really, really good point that leads me to ask, what does success look like then for women? One of the things I'm quite obsessed by, and I may have told this on one of the other podcast episodes, so hopefully our listeners will forgive us. But I um, I went to see once a, a, a great female recruiter. She's someone who recruits some of the top CEOs in the world. And she was bemoaning that the men of the men of today want to spend too much time with their families. This was her complaint. She was like, you can't get a CEO like you used to get who was sort of prepared to give it all up. She was like, they want to be home for bedtime. And she saw this as a negative, but I was thinking how interesting that you've noticed that people define success differently because her complaint was really, these men felt a successful CEO role was doing a good job and having a life. And I was thinking, I think that might be what I think success looks like, too. You, you might be telling the wrong person. Do you think we define success too narrowly for women? That's such an excellent question. And I've noticed that throughout the years of doing perspectives, that what I consider to be a successful woman that I'd like to talk to on my show has changed significantly. And what my guests consider success has changed as well. I, I used to look and think, well, I want to have this a CEO or somebody who is so, you know, high up and what I was believing success was that they can share advice that other people can be inspired about with. And while that is definitely still true, I want people to be inspired. I think the idea of having the most 
powerful position in an organization and making the most money, which I think was the very narrow version of success that I am embarrassed to say I once believed is not the case at all. I believe success, and I think what I hear again and again from my guest is 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 what you are saying is that success, wh whether you have kids or you don't have kids, what is finding a way to have a rewarding, interesting, and lucrative career while also finding a way to have a great, rewarding personal life, whatever that looks like for you. And to me, that's success. I could not agree more. And I think I've dramatically changed it. And actually looking at the women we have on this podcast, I think it's interesting. Nobody's, every single woman we're talking to is successful, but everyone's version of success looks completely different. And each one I'm thinking, wow, how can I be like her? She's amazing. But in terms of, I guess, um, that concept, one of the things people always talk about, particularly when it comes to women, is work-life balance. I don't really like the term work-life balance because I don't think I can achieve it at all. I'm absolutely terrible at work-life balance. I try to think more about, am I prior does my life help me achieve the things I prioritize for me? And that's as good as I can get. That's as close as I can get. What about for you? What does that look like? Well, it's funny because when I first um, was coming up with the name years ago for my podcast, I was going to call it the Balancing Act. And <laughs> it turned out that name was taken. But it was good because then I found out that a lot of women feel like you, they saying the word balance feels as though it's another thing you have to strive for and achieve. I feel differently. I love the word balance um, because I feel it doesn't, it feels, I, I agree with you though, that it's something you never exactly achieve, but it's having a day where for me, it's having a day where I get to fit in as many things as I really like. So that would be, spending time with my clients, helping to figure out the biggest challenges that they're having, doing one of my podcasts, which I love doing or being on one. So thank you so much for this. And then spending time with my family and friends and dogs. <laughs> I'm a big dog person. So. so a combination of all of those makes me very happy. And that to me is success. And you mentioned there kind of helping your clients with their challenges, but I wonder, have you ever felt, have you ever felt that you're in a situation where you feel like, hey, I feel I'm facing a challenge or a bias that I wouldn't be facing if I wasn't female? Yes. I think less now more, but I think, especially as a younger woman, often, and I mean, I don't think this is where you're necessarily going with this, but prior to the Me Too movement, you know, often I felt not only that I was facing a challenge, but I was facing a situation that I didn't want to have to deal with, although I could deal with many times over. A lot of that has changed, not 100%. But yeah, even, I mean, I feel that way often in terms of negotiations, you know, negotiations with clients where you 
as a woman, you're almost trained to be, to, to apologize. So, you know, I'm so sorry, but I couldn't accept those terms where a man would just be like, no, that's not, you know, we're not doing that. And I think I learned over time to do it in a way that feels authentic to me. I don't know. Is that a good answer, Ruth? Is that what you're looking I, for, Ruth? <laughs> I think, why are you trying to please me, Katie? This, you know, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm so fond of you. I just, I want you to be happy. You know? Oh my goodness, Katie. I think, I think I'm breaking you. I think I'm breaking your womanhood live on air. <laughs> I think, I think what, what I think about it is, I think you're right. And I think one of the things that I've reflected on a lot about the pre-Me Too era, which I think we don't even talk about enough, is what it's like to be a senior woman today, dealing with younger women in the workplace who face a different sexism, they face a different discrimination than we did. I don't know if this is something you've experienced. I did some amazing training with Time2, so if anyone's listening, you should definitely look them up. Um, and one of the things they asked more senior women in the workplace to reflect on is your experiences pre-Me Too were sometimes so extreme that do you risk not taking seriously the bias or challenges of younger women in the workplace? And that really gave me pause for thought because I thought, yeah, I did grow up in an era where People pinged your bra strap at your desk on a daily basis. Clients put their hands on your knees and slid them up your thigh. And all of this was normal. I don't think I'd find that at all normal now. And I really hope the young women I work with don't find that at all normal now. And it really made me reflect on, am I aware enough of what challenges look like for the younger women coming up in the industry now? And should I educate them myself on that? That's an excellent point. And I do think I agree with you because it's different. I mean, I remember I was in a meeting once and um, one of the men in the meeting, there were maybe 10 people in the meeting was texting me, uh, unbutton another button of your shirt. You look amazing. I'd love just one more button. And I was, I actually saved those because I was thinking just in case I ever need to do something with these, but I decided not to. But I mean, there's so many experiences like that over the years. And you're right. I hope that things are a little different for women now, but I think there's still a lot of inappropriate behavior. But aside from that, that section of things, I think there are a lot of times where women, young women need to prove themselves more or not, or not as taken, are not being taken as seriously simply for the fact that they're a woman. And I think it's even more so if they're an attractive woman. I hate to say that, but I actually do believe that. Have you, do you think you felt that sometimes? Ruth, are you calling me attractive? <laughs> I, I am. I was trying to think after we just talked about me too, I was like, how do I say this in a non in a non-sexist way to Katie, where she doesn't have to leave her family and come to live with forever? <laughs> no, I, I think definitely yes. And I think, you know, with that, I think definitely yes. And I've said before to some of my female employees, and I mostly have female employees always have. I'm very open to having male employees. I have one now, Evan, he's amazing. But sometimes if they're going to be going somewhere to a meeting, I'll say, you don't have to tell me, but you know, what do you plan on wearing? And I, you know, just to make sure it's not 
two, and this might be wrong. Maybe we should not be talking about this, but so it's not too sexy or to make sure that someone's being taken seriously while still being able to be themselves. And I think the fact that as women, we think about that is because honestly, I don't really know very many men who go about thinking, oh, I hope I don't look too sexy today for my meeting because I want to be taken seriously. In fact, I think most men I know would be like, is that an option for me? Because <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I am in. But I think, I definitely think there is a real truth there about feeling that you have to minimize yourself or prove yourself. One of the, um, I think one of my most interesting memories is I worked in a series of businesses where each business had a male and female um, leader who co-ran the business together. And one of the things I noticed was whenever I'd present, I'd be like, hey, guys, I've done all the work, all the research. Here's all my findings. I've made sure this isn't just my opinion, but this is what the market thinks, the customers think. And most of the men I presented with would get up and go, because I've been in this job absolutely ages and I really know my stuff, this is what we should do. And after a bit of time, I almost started laughing because it was so, you were like, we're stereotypes. I'm I'm trying so hard to tell you this is not my opinion. And you're trying so hard to say, this is my opinion. And each of us think we're taking the right route. And do you think that has improved over time at all? You know, I don't know. And the reason that I'm not sure, although I hope that it has, is that I was very lucky in my career to work for Chuck Porter, Alex Boguski, and Miles Nadell, and they were very respectful of my opinion. So I really had a unique situation. Looking back, I I realized how unique it was. And then, you know, then I've had my own company. So I don't know. I don't have that that experience of working for bigger companies, but I hope it's changing. It should change. So thinking about developing women in the workplace, and you speak to so many of them, talk to me about your feelings of the value of mentoring. So I believe that people should, and women, should create relationships, or if they have relationships, further relationships, whether if it's with a man, you know, leader or a female leader, who they admire and who is open to spending time with them and talking with them. I ask my guests often about mentorship and I hear about mentorship all the time. I don't know if a very formalized mentorship or sponsorship is necessarily always what you need. I think there should be several people that you can go to and ask for advice and hopefully are open to giving it to them and people that will be your champion. I would never have gotten as far as I've gotten if I didn't have Chuck Porter as my champion. And I feel very, very lucky for that. I saw him just the other day and I mentioned it to him. I said, you know, I think back about how, you know, you helped me get in all these great positions. And he said, no, you did it yourself. But that's also the uh, the mark of a great mentor or somebody who's helping. So, and just to take this one step further, I also have never really believed in like networking events where you're supposed to go and, you know, meet people. And when you hear their title, see if they might be useful to 
you? And if so, then you figure out, they figure out if they're useful. You know, I've always found that the people that have been the most helpful to me in my career, and I've been helpful to them, have come out of relationships that were genuine. I'd completely agree with you on the authenticity piece. In fact, um, when I've done some mentoring, particularly for women, I've said, don't think of it as networking. Actually, you don't have to network with anyone, but if you're interested in them, just stay in touch. That's all you need to do or chat to them, see if there's a connection and the people where there is a connection, you don't actually need to manufacture it. I'm just really, really nosy and I love to find out about people. So I actually genuinely want to know everything. So for me, I enjoy networking that way, but it's not in a it's not in a sort of business sense, particularly that comes second. Mm -hmm. I agree. I absolutely agree. And I'm very curious about people. And, and I also love to help, you know, if people, women get in touch with me quite a bit and say, um, you know, can I talk to you about your career or about how you got, you know, your, your journey. And I'm always very open to that. So who doesn't like to talk about themselves, right? No, but I'm open to, open to it also in ways of things I think I would have done differently. And I'm going to ask you about that in, in a second, because I love things I would have done differently. But I, one of the things I often speak to the women I mentor about is, even though do, do it authentically, it is useful to actually think about um, staying in touch with people sometimes as a process. Because one of the things I notice is that men are much better at staying in touch with me just for self-promotional reasons. And I don't mean that in a negative way. What I mean is more like, hey, Ruth, just staying in touch to let you know, I'm just working on this. If you ever need me, give me a shout, you know, Steve. And women rarely put themselves forward like that as much. I would say the amount of just people who they're interested in being on the advertising week stage. So they think to drop me a note and just say, Hey, just to let you know, I've been working on this. That's it. But I'd say it's 99% men. I think women either think, Oh, I don't want to bother that person or they don't want to fear if that person's not going to get back to them and which then maybe reflects like they're not a, interesting enough person. And I, I think that women have hangups like that, even going back to what we were talking about, the clothing with men never thinking like, is this too sexy? You know, women are, this is a stereotype, I mean, a generalization, of course, but I think women are much more reflective in the sense of, oh, is this going to be a bother? Is this, you know, are they even going to get back to me? So why should I bother? Where, it's right. You should put yourself out there. You should remind people of who you are. You know, nobody, people aren't going to do it for you. And I think one of um, a wonderful woman I mentored who'd worked in the field, she had such a cool job. She was like a robotics expert anyway. And she'd, she'd moved on to AI or something, you know, something very similar related field. And I said to her, you know, you should put yourself forward as a robotics expert, et cetera. And she said, well, wouldn't be exactly true because now I'm working more in AI. And I was like, if a man had been a robotics expert for five minutes in the 1980s, it would be, I was like, it would still be there in his emails. What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's true. 
So I definitely, I definitely think we need to be, we need to be less shy about speaking about our attributes. But you mentioned one of my favorite things, which is what were the mistakes I shouldn't have made? And I think this is so important to talk openly about so people know how you can learn from them. For you, what have been the things you go, I wouldn't have done it that way now? I think, and this goes back to earlier when you were talking about um, young women and advice for young women, or I think I wasn't vocal enough about things that were important to me or pushed enough at times to get what I felt I deserved. I always figured a way to do it in sort of a charming way, or I felt it was charming. Who knows? Maybe it wasn't charming at all. But, you know, looking back, why did I need to do that? You know, I should have just, as a man, would have said, this is what I want, or this is what I deserve. And instead of trying to figure out how to do it in a, a less threatening way. Um, also, I spent a lot of time and in my career and in just my life in general, I was a single mom for a long time, um, worrying worrying about everything. You know, I would be up in the middle, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd run through things I had to do for work or things that weren't, you know, that were worrying me with work or personally. And I just worried, worried, worried. And you know what? Here I am. It all worked out. I mean, who knows what happens in the future? You never know. But all of that missed sleep and time worrying was a waste. So... What I would say to other people and what I wish I could say to myself years ago is, you know, if it's really something to worry about, think it through and try to figure out what the solution is. But all of this wasted I that a lot of women do where they create these scenarios in their heads, most of them aren't even true anyway. And you know what, Katie, I actually think that's a really human condition. Almost everyone I know is an overthinker. Yeah, maybe that's my New Year's resolution for 2024, less overthinking, and we'll just apply it to humanity in general. So before we finish up, I know one of the things you always talk about with people on your podcast perspectives is what's that one piece of advice that's been really special for them. So I think it would be really unfair and unkind of me not to make you answer that <laughs> on this podcast. What's the thing that you want to say to people? This is this is my one piece of advice. This is my one piece of advice. Be your own best friend. It sounds silly, but it isn't. You know, people come and go throughout your life, situations come and go, but the one person you can rely on is yourself. Be kind to yourself. Talk to yourself as you would talk to your best friend and be a cheerleader for yourself. As corny as that sounds, I really truly believe it. So be your own best friend. And as one of the many, you know, one of the 7 billion overthinkers on the planet, Katie, I thank you for that <laughs> advice because we definitely, definitely need it. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Future is Female podcast. It's I think it's really inspiring to meet somebody who runs their own business, runs other people's business for them, and does it all while having to be their own best friend. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. This was so much fun.
Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you again in the next episode.